Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our first lesson, 2 Kings 6, verses 15 through 17, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, reading the words of our gospel today, well into the Easter season, it is easy to grasp the meaning of what Jesus said there in John 14 without necessarily appreciating the emotion of the situation. We have a huge advantage over the disciples who who were listening to him that Thursday night over the Passover dinner. We know everything that happened after that. Jesus was trying to prepare them for it all, not just because he knew what was coming, but also because he knew them. He has just promised them great things like the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he has also told them that that very soon he is going away and will not be with them anymore. First, he will go away into death. Seven weeks later, he will ascend into heaven. And he knows how it will affect these men who have been at his side for three years. Their hearts will be troubled. And that's putting it mildly. After he is crucified and laid in his tomb, they will be inconsolable. At various times and in various ways, they will feel guilt, grief, anger, despair, frustration, and abandonment. The one thing they will not feel is peace. And so that is exactly what Jesus leaves to them in his words the night before he goes to the cross and death. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. He tells each of them not to let his heart be troubled. And though he doesn't use the word, his meaning is simple. Trust. Trust his word, and trust his Father to have everything well under control, no matter how out of control things might seem in his absence. At the time, they did not appreciate how much they needed this peace and his encouragement to trust, but soon enough they would. And while we might be tempted to say, well, Sure, yeah, they felt deep grief and everything when Jesus died on Good Friday, but he he rose from the dead already on Easter Sunday. They only had a few days without him, so it shouldn't have been that big a deal. But they did not know, or rather, really, they did not remember that Jesus was going to rise and live again. So there was nothing to ease their grief or temper their despair until until Jesus appeared to them himself in that same upper room where they had had the Passover and said, Peace be with you, and told them again to not let their hearts be troubled. And seven days later, in that same room, he spoke to Thomas, whose whose heart was still troubled because he had not believed his brothers when they told him Jesus had risen. And Jesus challenged him to faith. And Thomas recognized his Lord and his God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
the period between Christ's death and his appearing again alive was a preparation of sorts for his disciples for his ascension into heaven. The first time he left them, yes, for just a few days. The second, he would leave them for good. So there would be a lot of not seeing ahead for all who followed him. And and he wanted them to leave doubts and fears behind and find peace by relying on the things that he had already told and given them to be blessed not seeing and yet believing. You see, Jesus understood the human heart and the heart of a believer like no one else. He knew what to expect in his absence, and so he tried to prepare his people for it. Not just his 11 remaining disciples, but all Christians who would follow later. Because having to make decisions or just live our lives dealing with important things that our eyes can't see can most certainly trouble our hearts and some things and some hearts more than others. Samantha knows that God has promised to protect her, but she never sees any angels in her neighborhood or or lightning bolts striking down criminals, so she's just not sure about it. And so she spends many evenings quivering behind her closed curtains, afraid of the world outside. Jack has, has heard many and read many times about God's forgiveness, but he says until Jesus stands right in front of him and says, hey, I forgive you, Jack, he's not going to count on it. Not considering the awful things that he did in his teens and twenties. Laura likes to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, but, well, she figures that that makes the Lord too busy to attend to the little things in her life, like her health, like the safety of her grandchildren and whether her savings will last through retirement. She doesn't see God stepping up to handle everything, so she worries a lot. And Todd's case is perhaps the saddest of all. He used to trust God for absolutely everything. Then his dog, his mother, and a close friend all died within a year of each other, all while he was out of a job. And though he prayed and prayed for a sign that the Lord was going to make everything better, he never saw such a sign. And now he doesn't trust God at all. He's just angry at him all the time not seeing God at work in the world, or not seeing evidence of His presence in one's life, well, that can also lead many people into lives of very deliberate, law-defying, holiness-defiling sin. Figuring that God isn't there at all, isn't watching, or is there watching, and is either unable or unwilling to do anything about it. And of course... Lots of people also use what they can't see as an excuse for unbelief. Much of all this faithless behavior is really based on a mistaken notion that certainty can only be had when you can see and know 100% of a situation. 
And that anything less than 100% means exercising irrational and unsupported blind faith, which is little more than wishful thinking. But that is not what Christian faith is. And it is not what Jesus is encouraging us to do when he tells us to trust him and be at peace. We might feel that we are blind when we focus on all the things that we cannot see, but we have untroubled hearts when we focus instead on all the things we already know and see. And what are those things? We can start with what we do not want to know and see, but is really very real and readily apparent if we take an honest look, that we are deeply flawed human beings who are anything but innocent and therefore deserve bad things to happen to us, including the worst things of all, death and damnation to hell. As much as any of us might prefer to think of ourselves as really good people, and some might even do a good job of acting that way, the truth is that we are conceived and born in sin, and every day and in every way we we turn our noses up at God's will and insist instead on our own. Even our greatest good works are tainted by sinful self-interest. But to that fact, we also happily are also happily able to add the fact that God in eternity and in love chose to do something about our sad state. He was under no obligation, and we had nothing to offer him, but still he intervened to save us from our sins and their punishment. We know this because he has told us, and we see it because the Son of God stepped into human history himself as a human being just like us and lived among us in full view of society and suffered to die, suffered and died to pay for our sins in full view and then also rose from the dead and showed himself to many witnesses. We see all this written for us in the pages of Scripture, which is a reliable record of the actual story of Jesus of Nazareth and his life, works, and teachings. So we can trust what we see there, just as the disciples on Easter evening and and Thomas a week later were able to trust that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. We can be confident that our sins are all fully and freely forgiven. Because Christ paid their price with his suffering and death on the cross. We can be sure that we will live forever with our Lord in the new Jerusalem, the holy city that is paradise the blessed, because he gave us the perfection required for entry, and with his resurrection he won us eternal life. We can live without fear of death or the devil and and free from the control of sin because Jesus defeated every one of our enemies, which we can see from his cross and empty tomb. And since we can and do rely on God for all of those things which we see, we will also trust Him with and for what we cannot see. 
But it is not always so easy. Not because his power is not great enough, but because our hearts remain weak. The story in our first lesson, the story of Elisha and his servant, illustrates this well. This particular incident is is one of many that happen when Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, is at war with the nation of Israel, ruled at the time by Joram, the king of uh, the son of King Ahab. Though we wouldn't exactly say that that Joram and Elisha were friends, or that Joram was a believer in the Lord, the king still listened to the prophet when he had important things to tell him. And one of the things that Elisha passed on to Joram was the plans of Ben Hadad who kept trying to sneak his troops into Israel, apparently to to ambush Joram and and gain a victory without a costly battle. But God, who knows all things, told Elisha what the Aramaeans were up to, and Elisha told Joram, and Ben-Hadad's plans were repeatedly and completely foiled. And finally that king got fed up and demanded to know who the spy in his midst was. Someone, probably because he had spies of his own in Israel, told him that it was no Aramean traitor, but it was Elisha, the prophet of Israel, who kept betraying his plans. And so in anger and frustration, Ben-Hadad decided to do something about it. He found out that the prophet was in the city of Dothan, And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there to eliminate Elisha. They arrived in the darkness and surrounded the city at night. And that's where our lesson picks up. When the man of God's servant got up early and went out, there were soldiers, horses, and chariots surrounding the city. So his attendant said to Elisha, Oh no, my lord, what will we do? Now, it's not hard to imagine what it would have felt like to go to bed peacefully, calmly, unconcernedly, feeling safe, and then to wake up, go out, and find yourself surrounded by the enemy. All the servant could see was danger and death. There would be no way to to call for help from the king or his army. The only question was how long it would take for the Aramaeans to get into the city and do what they came to do. The servant saw no way out. But Elisha saw things differently. He answered, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now again, it's not hard to imagine what would have been going through the servant's mind at those words. Uh, Master, I, I may not have counted everyone, but I'm pretty sure that army outside outnumbers the two of us and everybody else in this town. I'm all for keeping a positive attitude, but we can't get out of this jam with optimism. But that was not at all what the prophet meant. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, Open his eyes so that he can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
Note that we're not told that Elisha had seen with his eyes these heavenly forces, with hordes, you know, the the horses and the chariots of fire before. But but he knew, he knew that they were there regardless, because he knew that God promises protection to His people, especially when God has given those people a mission to complete. So he was not afraid, and he told his servant not to be afraid. But his servant's heart would not be at peace unless he saw. So Elisha prayed, and God granted him the sight, the sight which proved that those who were with them were far, far greater than those who were against them outside the city. That's not where the story ended, though it continued to be about what was seen and what was not seen. Elisha's next prayer was that their enemies be struck with blindness. And they were. And then he went out and told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. So he led them to Samaria, the capital of Israel. And after they were inside the city, surrounded, he asked the Lord to open their eyes so they could see. And it was their turn to be afraid. Yet in the end, they did not need to be. Because God was determined to be merciful and a maker of peace that day. Elisha instructed Joram to feed them and send them on their way. And the king threw them a feast. And when they returned to their king in Aram, Ben-Hadad decided it was time to stop sending his raiders into Israel. So Elisha's servant, and really all of Israel, learned a lesson that day to not let what your eyes can't see trouble your heart. Because God can always be trusted to be at work for His people. That lesson is just as timely and vital for us today. We do not need to see horses and chariots of fire in order to be unafraid and at peace. The God who called the world into existence with a word, who sustains all things by His will, who clothes the lily and feeds the sparrow, can be trusted to take care of every worry over home or health, over family or finances. We have already seen what He can do. We do not need to see any more. The Father who gave His one and only Son as the Lamb sacrificed on the cross to take away the sins of the world has given more than enough evidence that His proclamation... All your sins are forever forgiven for Jesus' sake. Even that sin that causes you to shake with shame in the middle of the night. You are innocent in my eyes. Well, that God and that proclamation can be believed. Jesus, who dealt so tenderly with children, so compassionately with the crushing crowds, so patiently with His slow on the uptake all to human disciples, and so tenaciously with His enemies, can be relied on to deal lovingly and powerfully with us, even when we experience suffering and setbacks in our lives, just as He did and just as He told us we would. 
And the Savior who stilled the wind and waves with a word, cast out demons with a command, and walked untouched through a crowd seeking to kill him, can surely be counted on to be with us as he promised to the very end of the age, to bless us, protect us, and take us home to heaven when and only when the time is right. While we like it when we do, we do not need to see the horses and chariots. We have seen enough to believe when we have not seen. The one who is with us is greater than anyone and anything against us. So when Jesus leaves us his peace, he means it. And he means for us to have it. As Elisha's servant learned so memorably, there is no reason to fear, nothing to worry about. There is no guilt unpardoned and no enemy undefeated when God is on our side. He has given us abundant evidence. We can trust our Lord for everything and in everything. Don't let what your eyes can't see trouble your heart. Alleluia. Amen. Please rise. Now to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.